Hey folks, Jeff Kozlowski here with another episode of the K-Stream podcast. Thank you for joining. Uh, the guest for this episode is Brandon Costa. He is the director of digital with the Sports Video Group. Uh, the Sports Video Group, according to their website, was formed in 2006 to support the professional community that relies on video, audio, and broadband technologies to produce and distribute sports content. Uh, Brandon is on top of all of the latest innovations and changes in the sports production world, focusing on both, you know, in-stadium work and the uh, television, more broadcast side of things. So it was great to chat with Brandon. He, we, we talked about some of the coolest innovations in sports production uh, over this past year of, of 2021. Uh, we talk a lot about how the pandemic has shifted sports production and, and maybe what changes are here to stay things like at home productions people you know doing uh sports for example game productions um off-site you know in a, in a more remote location as opposed to uh traveling to the event itself we also touch on why it's important for those that are in the sports production industry to continue to work together uh so you know we can we can all um experience these these innovations and, and continue to make each other better. And that's what SVG, the sports video group is all about. So of course we hit on uh, how you can learn more about them, what their work, uh, what, what kind of work they do, um, and maybe how you can get involved if you, if you are in the sports production world. So uh, without further ado, here is Brandon Costa, director of digital with the sports video group. Okay, Brandon Costa with Sports Video Group. Thank you so much for joining the K-Stream Podcast. How are you? Good, Jeff. I really appreciate the invite. How are you? Doing great. Um, you know, just to kick us off, would you please talk a little bit about what Sports Video Group is and kind of and, and what your role is with SVG? Sure. This is something I try to explain to my parents at every holiday, and I still don't get it after uh, <laughs> 10 years of working at this place. Although in my defense, I'm not really great at describing it either. So here we go. Uh, a sports video group is essentially a trade association for people who work behind the scenes in sports, television, sports video production, whatever that terminology is you want to put on that. Uh, we were founded in 2006 kind of at the dawn of like high definition when that was really coming out. And a lot of the networks and the leagues and everyone were like, what the heck are we going to do? How are we going to do this? Uh, and we gave them kind of a neutral ground in order to kind of hash out the technological issues of the jump to HD. Uh, and then that was kind of the spark that made sports video group happen. Uh, I came on in 2011. Uh, so the company was already about five years old at that point. Uh, and since then, we're kind of covering the coverage, if you will, but not really for the fan. We're very much for people who work in sports television. Like if you were a remote operations producer at NBC Sports and you wanted to know how ESPN was producing the college football playoff championship game, for example, we'd be a place where you could either attend a professional networking event or read on our website a newsletter or watch a video interview about how that's being done. The average fan, if they went to our site, would probably have their eyes glaze over or would be like, what the hell are these nerds talking about? Um, <laughs> but if you work in the industry and you care about the technology and how those things are done, then we're right up your alley. So we do a lot of uh, career, you know, career advancement, career placement. We're also here to be kind of cheerleaders for people in the industry 
history. A, a lot of the members of SVG are names and faces that the average person, uh, even who may work in the industry, do not know. Uh, so we're here to give them the credit that they deserve for the innovations that they uh, bring to the table, um, both historically, currently, and in the future. So uh, our website is sportsvideo.org if anyone's interested in kind of seeing more of what we're about. Um, but we're very much of kind of giving a neutral playground or an idea sharing space for people who work in sports video production to hash out some of the technical issues. Like I said, in the beginning, it was HD. These days, it's 5G, IP, 4K, 8K, you know, HDR, whatever it may be. Some things I'm sure we'll get to later on in the conversation. But yeah. uh, that's kind of us in a nutshell. Trade Association, uh, we're, we're usually doing professional networking events, but like everyone else in the world, those were not happening in person for quite some time. So we're doing a lot of virtual events, but we've gotten back to live in-person events, fingers crossed, for good. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, we're doing an event next week in New York, though. I'm not sure when you're going to run this. It's December 13th and 14th in New York. It's our big SVG summit. Um, so that's kind of the idea, bringing the industry together. That's what we do. Any ballpark number of how many members you guys have? Mm, well, very, very active members uh, versus, uh, you know, uh, people who just happen to subscribe to our newsletter are, are probably two uh -huh. very different stories. But I mean, I, we've got uh, hundreds of people, you know, oh, definitely well into the thousands of people who attend our events throughout the year. That's awesome. Um, yeah, which is great because we are definitely not in the numbers game. A lot of people like to yeah. say they're quality over quantity, but we very much are. Like, give, give us the SVP of broadcast productions over... 100 1000 randos any day of the week uh not to call people in the industry randos i just mean like fans or people who are just interested in the thing uh we are very much an organization that uh, abides by and this might be a little licky to say but a little bit more of a country club mentality uh where we are a, a place where those kinds of people can feel comfortable talking about the high pressing issues um and for the betterment of the industry as a whole, because you'd be surprised how often as comp as competitive as these networks and leagues and broadcasters are, uh, they work together quite often because uh, they're all kind of, uh, you know, rising tides, raise all boats, you know, the old saying. Um, so, yeah, so we have a really our, our number might not blow people away, but when people come into an SVG event and they see the quality of the people that are there and the. Uh, candid nature in which they're willing to talk amongst each other. Uh, that's where really SVG shines. And what exactly is your role with SVG, Brandon? That's a good question. Um, I'm the <laughs> director of digital there. So basically that means both external and internal. So externally, that means, uh, you know, kind of oversee uh, our video, podcasts, social media, production. We have other people who work uh, with us in those departments, but just kind of be the overseer of that. Um, so basically all of our content that's not text-based, I still write plenty, uh, but advancing us in ways uh, that were touching different platforms and different mediums and things of that nature. Uh, on the flip side of that, that also means running professional networking events or communities, if you will, for certain groups that might fall under a similar kind of digital quote unquote mindset. So we do an annual SVG sports OTT uh, summit or forum, whatever we decide to call it that year, um, uh, you know, throughout the year. So I'll be responsible for programming that event, booking speakers, making sure mm -hmm. that we're engaging with our advisory board so that the right topics are being discussed, that the right speakers and companies are being represented on stage. Uh, it also includes our SVG college community where a lot of live streaming production is being done 
from control rooms on campuses by students and athletic department personnel that are pushed in a lot of cases to places like ESPN plus or stadium or Fox sports go well, Fox sport, uh, yeah, whatever Fox sports platform is named now. Um, so yeah, it's digital our own internal digital editorial operations. And then also kind of managing the events and the content topics that are addressed in a, that would fall under a quote unquote, digital bucket, streaming, digital, social, all that kind of stuff. How do you, as somebody in that kind of covers this industry, how are you staying on top of all of the latest, um, you know, not only tech, but like innovations and things that sports franchises around the world are doing? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a really good point. I mean, it's like everything else. It's a relationships business. It's a lot yeah. of talking to people directly. Uh, one of the advantages of having our own internal editorial department, which not too many trade associations have some do they'll run newsletters they'll run press releases of sponsors and things like that um but by having an editorial department i mean and being a part of it you're you're kind of forced to be talking to people on a regular basis you know we're getting back mm -hmm. to going out onto site for things we used to be in compounds and at broadcast centers uh multiple times uh, a week a month prior to the pandemic we've been recently getting back to it uh, this year, we were able to get out to the MLB All-Star Game, the MLB A Field of Dreams game. We're hoping to be oh, back yeah. out for, you know, college football, bowls and the Super Bowl and everything and all that kind of stuff. So being out and out in the compounds and having a presence and showing face is important, um, but also just constantly maintaining uh, contact with our advisory board, our advisory committee, who are people who work in the industry. Um and I think it's important to pro point out that you're right in the way that you phrased it. It's important for us to stay on top of what's going on. Uh, but really, we feel our goal as an editorial department at Sports Video Group is to not uh, – how do I want to phrase this? Not to keep you – up to date as to what's going on, but more to help you get to the bottom of what's going on. If that makes mm. sense, there's a lot. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you, I mean, I'm, I subscribe to them all because that's another way of keeping it up. I mean, the newsletters are a dime a dozen and you can just completely get in inundated <laughs> with everything everyone's doing from, you know, broadcasts to NFTs to HDR to like mm. everything. And you just, you just drown in letters and acronyms. Um, <laughs> so uh, we're an important filter in some regard, uh, if we do say it to ourselves, to help uh, our membership kind of weed through the buzzwords and the marketing jargon and uh, the in onslaught of press releases that come across. So uh, we really do pride ourselves in kind of being a trusted filter for the people who are members of our organization. Uh, to your point, though, that is it, it, it's very all consuming and it can be a lot sometimes. <laughs> and sometimes you take something seriously that maybe doesn't need to be taken seriously or vice versa. You know, we're far from perfect, uh, but it, it can be a lot of work. It's a lot to stay up on. But like I said, our job is to make that keeping up with things and getting to the bottom of what's important easier for our members. And one thing you mentioned earlier that that. It's really interesting. You know, you, you think of sports um, as like a kind of like a, I don't know, a cutthroat industry. Mm -hmm. You want to be at the top leading, leading, um, cutting edge of, of, of everything. But it's interesting that, you know, you, you mentioned like the, but really a lot of the, the people in the industry, at least in like the, on the production side of things, they want to work together and learn from mm -hmm. each other. And, you know, I had way back when I first started this podcast, a, a gentleman who runs a production company out in um, Ohio said, you know, he, he constantly is sharing 
you know, tips and how he runs his business and stuff for free on, on his social media channels and his philosophy is like, you know, when we all win, we all win. Um, yeah. so, you know, it only makes sense to help each other out. And that's interesting that you find that in an, um, uh, uh, in an industry like this one. Yeah. We were having a conversation about that recently because, uh, someone I was talking to said that they're like, uh, you know, that's very much, it's true of a broadcast world because broadcast is a little more old school, um, uh-huh. in that, Everyone was road warriors for a really long time. You know, you worked in the trucks, you were on the road all NFL season, or when you went to go cover the Olympics, you were in the host country for months preparing. It's not so much like that anymore. Um, uh, But I kind of came back with like, I don't know if that's necessarily the case. I think broadcast did have those kind of uh, everyone knew everyone. It's a small world. Uh, You know, don't burn any bridges because it's going to come back around and you're going to be working with someone again, guaranteed. Uh, kind of nature to it and there's uh, i mean a little bit less of that now in a digital and streaming and social mm-hmm. world but I, I think the sharing is just different uh and i think that sharing is certainly happening there's a lot of younger people uh younger than i that i follow on twitter and linkedin and and follow their work on instagram and everyone's just phenomenal about sharing the stuff that they find uh you know i think everyone uh, and I don't say everyone, but a lot of people know how hard it can be and how challenging it can be to work in this industry. And at the end of the day, there's not a whole lot of secret sauces out there. It's really just like, especially in this era of new platforms coming out, like seemingly every year is we're all just trying to figure this out, man. Like I said, going back to HD, um, you know, that was a whole new technological innovation that radically changed the face of sports broadcasting um, and sports television. Uh, you know, and, and it's the same headaches in a similar sense that I'm sure people deal with when, you know, TikTok starts to blow up and everyone's looking around going, oh, are we, are, are we doing this thing or what are we doing this? And then it's like, okay, all right, we're doing this thing. All right. What do you know about it? What do you know about it? What have you seen work? What have you seen work? Uh, and I think that's a beautiful thing about this industry. It's not to say that people aren't competitive. They're absolutely competitive. Sure. Um, but much like athletes who get together in the off season and train together, who might work <laughs> for different teams, uh, it's, it's always heartwarming to see, you know, when we put on a panel and you've got Fox up on stage with ESPN, up on stage with Bleacher Report, up on stage with, you know, Amazon. And they're all like, just like, Hey, this is what we're doing. This is what we learned. You guys do this better than us. You know, it's really, it's really, really good stuff when you really dig into it because, you know, we're all trying to solve the same problems here. Love it. Yeah. And and so going back to, you know, what things look were looking like when when COVID nineteen hit and and mm-hmm. you know I think it was like the basketball games started getting you know people had to leave the arena and, and uh, sure. uh, you know here we go with um, figuring out what to do in this uh, in this world of of a pandemic and I, you know one thing like at at that time or shortly after you know one of the coolest innovations that I. I thought was, you know, just kind of how the NBA handled it in general with the bubble and, mm-hmm. um, you know, the way they did their media interviews, the way they set up the stadium, the, you know, everything, the way it kind of came together was just so, um, I just thought it was so, just so awesome. And, and sports in general is, I feel like, you know, that is, the, the, the sports production world especially seems to always be on top of the latest and greatest, um, you know, pr- production technologies, uh, also doing the latest like social media trends. They're just like an innovative, it's an innovative industry. And, and um, so how, you know, aside from like the, you know, the, the NBA 
bubble. How did the pandemic, you know, from what you've seen, kind of shift sports production, um, you know, both either if it's, you know, whether that means like in stadium or, you know, it's probably more on like the broadcast side, but you know, what are your, what are your thoughts there? Well, I mean, I think the, the big thing was, is that, and don't get me wrong, we had plenty of calls uh, in the immediate um, aftermath of sports getting canceled, where we had a lot of the networks, network execs and league execs like on a, on big Zoom calls. And there was a lot of what the F are we going to do, man? Like what's going on? And there was a lot of, you know, genuine, I don't want to say panic, but genuine concern about what can we do and uh, when we do come back, boy, we better do it right. Or we could really shoot ourselves in the foot here and everything that. could come screeching to a halt again. Um, and to their credit, they did a really good job because I mean, I think that the one thing that gets lost in, um, some of the things that, uh, get done nowadays is that these, br- these productions are huge. I mean, you're talking about hundreds of people on site. You're talking about big trucks. Now, those are the things that are changing. That's probably yeah. the biggest thing that changed as a result of the pandemic. And it wasn't things that came out of nowhere. These were trends that were working their way into the industry. And this mm-hmm. gave them a pretty dramatic push off the cliff. Most notably being, uh, you know, just kind of the shift to alternative production models, meaning mostly like Remy at home, home run, whatever you want to call them, those kinds of productions. Uh, I don't know if you know that what those terminologies refer to, but basically, and it's hard because no, the industry can't decide on a terminology. We used to call it at home production, but now that doesn't really feel to apply anymore because now there are literally people doing home based productions where they're switching a show from their house or they're contributing as an a one or they're broadcasting from literally an office like you're in right now. So it doesn't seem like at home really cut, you know, does the job anymore. ESPN has called it Remy for a while. So we'll just call it Remy for the sake of Remy. Um, The idea that you can do a production from a control room at your broadcast center without having to send a full fledged truck onto site. Um, This was something that the PAC 12 networks was doing a lot long before the pandemic from like the day that they opened. So the idea that you could do games at scale without needing to do, you know, the whole like roll up a big 52 foot production truck to mm-hmm. the venue uh, and staff it with 40, 50, 60, 70 people or whatever it may be. Instead, take that Washington State versus Utah women's volleyball game, and now I can produce that game with a producer, director, the whole traditional positions that you would see in the truck from a control room at our facility in San Francisco and just have like five, six, seven of those smaller control rooms in our building, and then all of the camera feeds and the audio feeds just come directly to that space Still need a few people on site to plug everything in. You need camera ops, things of that nature. But for the most part, you can keep a sizable part of your crew at home, quote unquote, uh, and produce the games that way. Uh, That was uh, a production model that was certainly becoming more and more common prior to the pandemic. Uh, It was controversial one, um, but then the pandemic kind of made it, well, we don't really have any other choice. We're only allowed to have... 10 people in the building due to COVID protocols. So this is the way that we're going to have to do it. We can't get people on planes. We can't have people driving all over the place. Uh, so that Remy production model, whether that means, and I think you're, you're seeing significant pushback, enough pushback, I think within reason for major sporting events that you're, I don't think you're going to be seeing any more broadcasters doing that, like the play-by-play person and the, and the yeah. analyst 
uh, and the sideline reporter, obviously, you're not really much of a sideline reporter if you're not <laughs> on the sideline. Um, and I'm not saying you're not going to still see some of that in some more cost-effective models. Um, yeah. But for big broadcasts, I mean, you already hear enough, uh, uh, you know, enough clamoring to get baseball baseball guys back on site and you know basketball and all those things of that nature so that was probably the biggest one just that massive acceleration of remy production and you mentioned the nba bubble the bubbles were fascinating but i'd even flip it and say uh, you know the nba 2k league was maybe one of the more Mm. impressive ones in the way that they got back they had their season and their championship like lined up and ready to go uh, and they only pushed it back maybe a month and they produced it entirely with all of their production crew sitting in their homes, they did it over a virtual wow. cloud-based production switcher. Uh, obviously, it's esports, so you can have your competitors just you know on a gaming console in their home. They might have you know internet not good enough or broadcast quality, you know, kind of live streaming stuff. But it was enough that they were able to get something up and quick. And uh, the esports industry, whether people traditionally expect us to consider that part of the sports industry, we do. Um, the way that they jumped in and really paved the way, whether it was NBA 2K League or Riot Games with League League of Legends and things of that nature, uh, eSports was bang, right back in and doing things, like I said, really talking at-home production now. Literally everyone is in their homes doing their job, which is wild. That's awesome. Um, And they did did some incredible broadcasts in the immediate, (laughs) like three, four weeks after everything shut down. It was pretty crazy. Yeah, it's, you know, I'm glad you mentioned esports. I, um, you know, I'm seeing just in glancing at the the SVG website every now and then, you know, esports seems to get more and more coverage. I mean, sure. were they, you know, do you, and I, maybe it's like the, the nature of esports, like, did you find that they were kind of the, they've been the quickest to adapt to all of this, um, you know, compared to some other, other leagues or, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think they'll be the first ones to admit, and I can say this because we just did an event with them in Los Angeles, like last month. Uh, they were just like, I mean, it really kind of just like played into our wheelhouse. It took us back to our roots of, you know, people streaming on Twitch or Justin.tv back in the day where they're just like, I set up a camera and I'm streaming my streaming myself, playing my games. It's like, okay, I can wrap my head around making that a COVID friendly broadcast, as opposed to setting up an entire bubble in, you know, you know, Toronto or whatever to pull off the entire NHL Stanley cup playoffs or whatever it may be. So they'll admit that, you know, they jumped at it, but it certainly played to their strengths at the time. Um, So, but to their credit, they're doing a lot of cool things now um, where I think, you know, they could be, you know, the, genre of sports if you will that people need to look at when they start talking more about the metaverse which is the new everyone's favorite buzzword um you know it was during the pandemic that they were not just surviving but thriving doing things like the you know the travis scott in uh you know in the game thing and like you know creating really immersive experiences um whether you need you know just sitting in your home and using the the technology to do it to make it seamless and engaging Um, so, uh, you know, I think that when it comes to virtualizing the world and that metaverse, if you will, uh, I mean, you'd be silly not to take esports seriously because they're doing some really, really cool stuff that I can guarantee you the traditional stick and ball, ball sports are going to be, uh, pulling ideas from and inspiration from. What about, you know, as, um, as far as things you covered in, in, you know, throughout this, this past year, um, or even, you know, uh, yeah, I would say, you know, in, in 2021, mm-hmm. what, 
were just a few of the, you know, some of the other things that that stood out to you as far as being innovative, um, whether that be something, you know, folks are doing in, in stadium or, or in more of a uh, television broadcasts world. would love to just know some of the things that you've been able to see and been like, wow, this that that stands out. Sure. Yeah. Well, I guess I could put them into two buckets because, again, I don't want to bore the audience with the really nitty gritty like transmission based SVG stuff that we could really <laughs> go into. So I'll get the like under the hood stuff out of the way okay. first. The big things that we're seeing is is obviously the maturation of IP. Uh, it was only maybe like four or five years ago where, you know, we do an annual event called our transport event. Get it. Um, and uh Transmitting live video over the public internet was definitely something you would get, you know, some, you know, noses uh, stuck up at if you were talking uh -huh. to a quote unquote legitimate broadcaster. Um, but now, again, they're all doing it a whole hell of a lot. Uh, so the maturation of IP and building facilities, uh, a lot of big facilities that are being built now in news and in sports, Sportsnet and I'm in Canada just opened one. We were out at NFL's new facility in Los Angeles, right by SoFi Stadium last month. That's an entirely IP-based ST2110 facility. Um, so that's something that's been maturing over the past five, six years. And as protocols have uh, kind of matured and been adopted and accepted, IP is in a really, really good spot right now. Again, trying not to bore the audience. Uh, 5G, <laughs> but 5G as a production tool. Uh, everyone's talking about 5G, uh, but yeah. from our perspective as a production tool, uh, we're not looking at from through the lens of it making your phone faster. There's light years of things that 5G will enable our phones to do that we can't even wrap our heads around in the way that 4G did the same things for our phones at the time when it first emerged. When 5G gets wide adoption, it's going to change a lot of how we interact with our phones in the world. But from a broadcast perspective, what does it do for delivery of signals, allowing you to have more wireless remote-based cameras within a broadcast, uh, being able to transmit back at higher qualities. One of the reasons why 4K has taken so long to really emerge is that it's really, really expensive to do, and it requires a really, really big pipes to get it from one facility, whether it's site to another facility or whatever it may be. Um, you know, 5G can make that a little more manageable because you're giving yourself some more space to play with and you can move it quicker and, you know, it doesn't have to hold everything up. Okay, so those are the boring under the hood ones. The fun things that the fans actually care about, the things that have been very, very cool, um, is it's been a big year for augmented reality graphics. I think graphics in the live sports broadcast have gotten so good over the last year or two. Uh, I know yeah. it feels like late years ago, but it was this calendar year when we had that NFL playoff game with the Nickelodeon graphics and everything like that. Yes, yes. Um, it just scratching the surface. And yes, that was a cute kind of example. A lot of fun. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, the, the things that you can do in an augmented reality sense now, whether it's in the broadcast or in stadium, a lot of people were sharing that clip of the Carolina Panthers, Panthers yes. jumping through the stadium in the beginning of the football season. There was just one recently of the that ship from Halo landing at the University of Oregon football stadium. Uh, yeah, very sponsorship driven, but hey, that's what they're there for. <laughs> Whatever helps pay the bills, right? Yes, uh, yes. It's very, very cool things like that we'll see what the ROI is on those things and how they actually drive engagement. And if they actually yeah. accomplish any of those things uh, we can talk about that separately, but uh, augmented reality graphics are doing a lot because uh, when it comes to production delivery is different because everyone's cables, uh, cable systems are different and signals. Trust me. I definitely know that signals can get compressed and image quality can be 
dropped significantly if you don't have the right connectivity or you're in a more rural area or whatever it may be. But image quality, image quality is pretty darn good. I mean, because we've seen if you're not going to deliver 4K, 1080p HDR up converted to 4K. It's not true native 4K, but it looks really damn good if you've got the right circumstances. So I'd say augmented reality graphics, the emergence of HDR and how that is improving image quality when it's used and used properly. Uh, and then drones, uh, you know, I mentioned uh, Field of Dreams earlier. Uh, the use of drones on that broadcast was uh, honestly, I think, one of the stars of it. Uh, and now, look, we still live in a world of FAA regulations, and we're not just going to be throwing drones up into stadiums with 80,000 people in them and just zipping them over grandma's head. That's not going to happen. Uh, but where you can do it, they're finding really cool ways to get some really captivating images of stadiums, players, games that people have been watching sports for a really long time, never seen them from that action before. Uh, and I would also be remiss if I didn't mention the the trend of all trends, which has been the shallow dip of the field on field uh, camera yes. movement. Oh, however you feel about it. It's, <laughs> it's getting all the thing. love. It's certainly a thing. Uh, it's getting all the love and it's getting plenty of hate too. And I can understand oh, okay. where the hate comes from uh, <laughs> because it does have a hard time staying in focus sometimes. But that's something yes. that's very new. Uh, but I think uh, it's at least from talking to all the people that we talk to, that's not something that's going away. That's just something you're going to see more and more and more of. And it's all about just bringing new angles, new crisper angles to events, uh, to fresh them up, make them feel new, make them feel, uh, different. So that's a, that's kind of a quick cliff notes version of some of the fun in front of the camera things that I think are, you know, taking live sports, at least to the next level. Yeah, is, you know, is that really kind of like what it's all about? Cause you hit on it, you know, we were talking about augmented reality and the Carolina Panthers or the, you know, the halo spaceship <laughs> and all that, like, is it real? I mean, yeah, it's, it, it is cool to be innovative and, and, you know, I would imagine like the Carolina Panthers got so much social media attention from that, uh, that production. Um, you know, I'm sure the, like the brand awareness piece went up, but you know, what are people, you know, what are the like producers or if these folks looking at, um, when they're, talking about how to measure like the success of this stuff mm -hmm. yeah no it's a great question i mean it's one that we tend to ask a lot because yeah because that's one of the things that you need that we have to look at and really genuinely ask about when people introduce things and that can be sure. you know like all right if we're gonna put a an 8k camera on the sky cam it's like why <laughs> you know <laughs> you never want to uh, it's very very easy to be tempted by the latest and the greatest Oh, yeah. But what is it really genuinely bringing to you? You don't want to bring in technology just for the sake of bringing in technology. Now, that being said, I'm a big, big, big proponent of trying new things. I think that sports, particularly live sports production, um, has gotten a little stale in that respect in that we have gotten really, really comfortable with how we watch games. Uh, and, you know, the camera angle from which you watch an NFL game has essentially that camera one has been in the same spot for 50, 60 years, you know, and it's been in the same spot. Point. And then, you know, people say, oh, we got to try something new. And then you do a, you do a broadcast from the sky cam and people freak out. They just don't, they don't you know, it's it, how can you integrate things that actually make the broadcast better? Uh, and those things are always hard to implement, even when they're good and revolutionary. When the when the score bug first got onto a broadcast, 
the people melted down. <laughs> like David Hill, who was the president of Fox Sports at the time, tells the story that he got death threats from fans after they put the score bug up on the screen for the, in the first Fox NFL season. Now, can you imagine if they didn't have the score bug up for five minutes, no. everyone would be freaking out. Like, what are you guys doing? Where's the score? Where's the clock? Where's everything? Uh, so initial reactions to innovations are always fascinating to me because sometimes they're right and it's just bad, <laughs> but sometimes it's like, well, guys, especially as we're integrating more of these augmented reality graphics, there were a lot of golf purists who are very, against the top tracer and i don't know how much golf you watch oh uh -huh. i love the top tracer. the top tracer is yes. amazing now that being said i'm not a golf purist i enjoy watching golf but i'm not a golf yeah. guy by any stretch of the imagination but boy does it make it a hell of a lot easier for me to watch golf and know where the ball is going otherwise it's just a really talented camera operator getting his camera up on the ball sticking with it and then you watch it <laughs> land and you go i don't know i guess it's a good shot it looks like it's yeah. on the fairway but now if i've got the top tracer next to the map of the course that's showing me where the ball is going exactly it's all this data-driven stuff that as that becomes more commonplace and becomes more ingrained that's why you're seeing all these player and puck and ball tracking systems that initially feel like, all right, they're giving us some, you know, some hokey analytics about how fast said player is running or, you know, uh, how far that ball is going. Okay. But then all that, and once you get a field of that data and you can start just having things automated, uh, like for example, you know, Turner sports is the new broadcaster of the NHL this year, them and ESPN, uh, the NHL has been trying to get a player and puck tracking system going for a handful of years now. And it's finally starting to really find its sea legs mm. and, now Turner's doing things like automating graphic enhancements on the screen where, hey, if a shot goes over a certain amount of miles per hour, it just pops up in the score bug that boom, that shot was 98 miles per hour. And now that was cool. something that used to be a whole process where if they wanted to do that, they needed to build a replay package and then show you how the speed was and da 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 da. Now you can automate these things based on data where if a shot eclipses 95 miles per hour, it just says, boom. PK Subban, 95 miles per hour, and it just throws it up on the graphic. And you don't even have to think about it. It doesn't even have to be done. Uh, as data becomes just more ingrained in all of our sports and in all of our more of our broadcasts, and it's not a matter of trying to force them into the broadcast. They're just there. Um, those are the interesting things that I think drive, and I think to go back to your original question, what's the ultimate thing people want? And it's always attention. Obviously, that leads to money and spending and yeah. all that kind of stuff. But the it's the attention economy now, and that's what everyone is fighting for. And in an era where you can't get people to stay on your video for five seconds, um, they're looking for anything that will keep you engaged uh, longer and engaging with their property and more likely to see ads and tap on ads and things like that, or just have them be in your presence. So in, in an attention economy, anything that's done is meant to make you go, Oh, wow, cool. Engage and stick around. Whether that's the quality of the video, whether that's the engagement tools that might be on a live stream or something with live stats or whether that's sports betting, which we haven't even touched on yet and making that more interactive. Everything's just competing for your attention and then ultimately your money. Um, and I think attention, uh, some of those things that we've talked about, some of them maybe grab your attention in a shallow way. Like you said, oh, you get some attention one day on social and it blows up on Twitter for a day. But then what? You know, yeah. did it really do anything for your business? Uh, don't know. <laughs> um, you'd have to talk to each of those examples specifically. Yeah. And I, I wouldn't want to speak for them. Um, of course. But, uh, you know, if you can grab attention, there's something that's that's said for uh, 
in a world where that's the hardest thing to maintain. Uh, if you can grab it, boy, that's that's rare. Absolutely. And and we'll have to do a whole nother show on the sports betting world, Brandon. Mm. I'll have to have you <laughs> back on uh, yeah. for that. But in the meantime, I'm going to get ready to wrap this up. Where can where can people find more about you and, and SVG? Where should they go? Sure. Yeah. Our website is sportsvideo.org. We're on most of the social channels. We've got a Facebook page, LinkedIn, uh, Twitter. We're at sports video on Twitter. I'm at SVG underscore Brandon on Twitter. Um, but yep, yeah, if you check out the website, we have a newsletter, uh, that we send out Monday through Friday, uh, that includes all of our original content and a lot of the other things going on also gives plenty of updates on what events we have coming up. Uh, we're getting back to impersonal events. So if we're in your neck of the woods, certainly, uh, come check us out. Um, but we're not going to be bailing on virtual events anytime soon. We'll still have plenty of those. So, uh, uh, the good thing about all of our events is that if you work in the industry, they are free to attend. We do not charge people, uh, to attend our events. As long as you, uh, work in the industry, uh, we welcome you with open arms because, uh, we're all here to learn. So definitely check us out. And if you ever need anything from, uh, us, uh, definitely hit me up. Appreciate it, Brandon. This was uh, a lot of fun. Learned a ton. Um, like I said, well, I'll, I'll have to have you back for, for, I'm sure we could do a couple more individual shows on, on, uh, other sure, subjects, just, sports just, betting. Just more, more of me rambling. I'm sure that's, there you that's go. what you want. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you again. M much appreciated. Yeah, yeah, really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Good luck with everything with this podcast. Okay.